So, so I want to dig into this a little bit because obviously, like, it, it, it's resonating. It's coming to me through. I mean, yes, we've met in person, we've embraced in person, and so I've gotten to know you a little bit. But it, it's it's coming to me through Zoom right now. There's this positivity. There's this outlook. This mindset that I think you have, which is is unique in our in our industry as a whole, kind of speaking. Um, where did this optimism come from? I mean, you you've talked about some of these habits and just maintaining. Obviously, we know exercise is going to play a part. Masterminding is going to play a part in that. But how did this all start? Like, were you were you always this way? Did you have kind of your aha moment? And if so, what was that? Or where was that? And and how how have you become the that you are today yeah I, well i think it really started when i was when i was a youth um i'm proudly from mcdowell county west virginia and uh mcdowell county west virginia um statistically is if it's not the poorest county in the united states of america it is one of the poorest poorest counties in the united states of america great people great people um but very you know um you know a very very humble i would say upbringing um, my parents, my dad worked five jobs in the summer. My mom was a lab supervisor. And my dad took me to the five jobs and said, son, if you ever want anything, you've got to work for it. And, um, my, you know, so that's where my brother, my brother's a doctor in Texas. And uh, I wasn't smart enough to be a doctor. So I, after I got, I got my master's degree. And after that, I went into the car industry and he, he went in the medical field. And, uh, and actually I talked to him. Uh, about every day because he's, you know, in the ER room dealing with, you know, this COVID-19. So I'm asking him about what's going on from the front lines and what can I expect. So a lot of my information I've also got from my brother, which has been very good to get because I'm, it's not biased. I'm getting it directly from him. And he's sounding more and more positive every time that I talk to him about where we're at with it and what where he feels like, it'll, it, you know, we will be. But, you know, when you've went... Um, you know, I think a lot of times we were growing up, we, we lived with an aunt. My aunt never could uh, read. She couldn't write. She didn't own a car. She would walk to a grocery store at night and work the grocery store. She was the oldest of nine. Uh, she's passed away. We called her Grandma Aunt Mary. Uh, all my grandparents died before I was born or right when I was born. They were, uh, in, you know, worked in the coal mines. Um, my mom's Italian. My dad's from, uh, he's American from Southern, from Southern West Virginia. Um, so I'm a hillbilly Italian, so that tells you a little bit about me. That that could be a dangerous combination. Um, <laughs> you might be you might be the first Italian that I've met uh, that's like Italian American, not like Italian Irish or Italian yeah. Portuguese. Because like I'm the Italian Portuguese variety. It's it's funny because we're from the northern part of Italy, so yep. we're very light complected. It's we're right below the Swiss Alps in a place called Calcinata, which is north north northern italians and as you know sure. further you go down south in italy the darker complexity you typically are right um so unfortunately i took after my dad my mom's uh, my mom's more darker complexion and a lot better looking my brother took after my mom so he got the brains and got the looks and i'm a car salesman and uh you know but he'll be only but anyway um so uh, yeah i saw all of them working um really really hard and so my dad would you know, take me with him and I would see that work ethic and I would see their sacrifice and they really worked and everything they did was to provide their two boys an opportunity. They grew up very modest. They grew up, you know, had 16 aunts and uncles. So really, I think all you did was coal mined and you had kids yeah, and right. they were Catholic. So what's that tell you? So you just yeah. had a lot of, you know, had a lot of kids. So I had a lot of aunts and uncles and, uh, 
And we lived in a, a house with my aunt that we sold later on for less than $10,000. So uh, American dollars. And it wasn't like we started back in the 70s. It was sold for 10000 back in like the 90s, you know. Oh. Um, and, and I saw that work ethic. And whenever someone does something for you, right? So if, something, if somebody does something for you in life, you you have a tendency to go work harder for them because they did something for you. You owe them. So when someone does them, so my parents sacrificed to pay for my education, my, my brother's education, and sacrificed their lives to make sure their two boys had every opportunity to be successful. That's both good and bad. The good is they gave us every chance to be successful. The bad is you carry that burden of if you're not successful, what they sacrificed and what they gave up will be in vain. So, right. the, so that is, that's, a, that's a heavy burden to carry. So when we did anything, we did it to our best of our ability. So if we signed up to dig ditches or if we worked for a construction company or if we went out for a team and we weren't very good athletes, but you would give it all, your, your all. You would try to do the best you possibly can. And that work ethic was because they sacrificed for us. Now, what they asked us to do is for our children to give them every opportunity to be successful. Don't give them anything. Let them work for it but to give them every opportunity to be successful. So when they made that sacrifice, that's where um, that inner drive came from. And they, they grew up during, you know, the depression, tough times, I saved their money. So I started saving my money and, and, and working and uh, being, you know, financially frugal. And uh, I, I finished my, I was so driven. Um, my brother, we worked full time really since we were 15 years old. And I took college courses starting 10th grade. So my brother finished his college degree in three years. I wanted to beat him. So I finished in two and a half years, a four-year degree. And I worked wow. full time. Yeah. And I, went got, I went and got my master's degree. So I finished six years worth of school in four. And then wow. I, um, I worked the whole time, the whole time I did that. And, uh, and then from there, I knew that, you know, uh, when I got out of college, uh, I went to Radford University. Uh, I said, I'd like to own a car dealership one day. Well, I interviewed with my first job with um, Huddy Hyman in Richmond, Virginia, a guy named Johnny Cates. And I never sold a car before. And I interviewed with them and I said, I'd like to own a car dealership. And they kind of looked at me as like, well, does your dad own a car dealership? I'm like, no. Did you ever, what makes you? I said, well, I like cars. I like people. And where I'm from, people that sell cars have nice cars. And I like nice cars. And we never really had a nice car. Our first, our car I can remember, my dad bought an 80s some celebrity and it was wrecked. He paid $300 for it and he gave it to the tech school to fix as a project. Yeah. So you know how the tech schools fix cars. Came back, bro. Came back, bro. So came back and had Bondo hanging out of it. And I said, Hey dad, would you please drop me off and don't drop me off at the front? You know, I don't want all the people to see me in the car. They make fun of me. Yeah. Right. And I think also growing up too, just another point is a lot of people look down on our family because you know, where we came from and what we did. And some people kind of look at me and, uh, make fun a little bit of how, of how I talk because I talk with a Southern twang. And, you know, sometimes when you have that stereotype, you could come across as a dumb hillbilly. I play right. that role really, really well. Uh, very convincing. Yeah, with, with uh, a Lambo in the driveway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so it, it, it's funny. Uh, you know, but, um, they said, you, you can give up this dumb hick, uh, you know, this dumb hillbilly uh, front you're putting on. We, we know you're not that, but you know, it's just, you know, sometimes when people look down at people like that, and I never want to look down at anybody, that, that happened to us growing up. And when that happens, I've had a real big chip on my shoulder. And the worst yeah. thing you could do is have a chip on your shoulder and people know it. Because when you've got a chip on your shoulder and people know it, you're from a French, but you're an asshole, right? You can come across yeah. as someone. You're that, that guy. 
you're that guy. But if you have that, if you work, like you want to prove people right or wrong, I'm more or less want to prove people wrong because there was some times earlier that I made a lot of mistakes that uh, I was just, I was just wild, you know, going through my teenage years. We, our parents raised us as, here it is, here's the world, go get it. It's going to kick you. It's going to knock you down. Go yep. get it. Yep. And I made a lot of mistakes from when I was like 15, uh, 14 to like 18. And I learned a lot of lessons, got in fights, did some, you know, did some really immature things. And I, you know, a lot of people thought that I was just never going to mount anything during that time. And I really turned to leave us, you know, beyond that. And I think everybody goes through adversity and makes mistakes and goes through just, you know, time in their life. They're kind of lost. Well, that happened to me earlier, you know, in life. Uh, I think I drank my first beer. I was like 15, 14 years old or something like that, you know, which the, the age wasn't 18. Then it was 21. Yeah. So um, I think part wait, of that wait, with Italian, that with an Italian in the family, that, that was your first beer. They weren't like dipping their finger in it and like yeah. well, using it, putting the, a soother in it. I'll tell you this. This is funny. My Aunt Mary made coffee beer, and I had it since I was like five years old. But like she made it for me, and it was in the coffee, so that didn't count. Like I right. went like bought, you know. I think the first thing I drank was like Mad Dog Twenty Twenty from a wine or something like that, you know. Um, sitting at the front of the ABC store when I was like fifteen years old. But my yeah, no. Growing up, my my Aunt Mary that raised us, she uh, while my parents worked, uh, she would brew coffee and put beer in it. And she would let my brother and I drink, and it was just a sweet, sweet coffee. It's kind of, kind of funny, right. um, but you know, and we rode her back, and she's just you know a little short, you know, Italian lady. But I, I, I imagine her sacrifice. Yeah. Never married, never had a checking account, never drove a car. She raised her eight siblings while the parents worked in the coal mines, and then she raised my brother. Her whole life was serving other people. So when she sacrificed that for me and she could look at me and say, Hey, Scott, you know, I'm really proud of you. That meant the world. to me. So I would never want to, you know, let mom Mary down or my parents down because they all sacrificed to make sure my brother and I had this opportunity. So if I really didn't take advantage of this opportunity, now some people don't, right? They get these opportunities and they, 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 they go the other way. They think that they're spoiled or they think that, you know, that, uh, the world owes them something and sure. it doesn't, but, uh, right. You know, not not the way not, not the way out. I mean, I got spanked a lot, and uh, um, I think my kindergarten teacher spanked me in kindergarten, third grade. Miss Krause spanked me at least twice, and the, the the second time she spanked me, my dad came and spanked me too. So she spanked me, my dad spanked me. I think the principal spanked me because they said I didn't learn when I was in kindergarten. They had the pat on. They'd spank it. Different times, different times. Oh yeah. Hey, yeah, but that. I mean, like, how do you how how do you feel like this has shaped who you are as a leader in your um, you know, I, I don't feel like that it's, it's changed me much. I feel like that I'm very approachable. I feel like that um, I do care about the people that I work with. I do push them. I push them to be the best that they can be. I feel like that if they're not doing the best they can, I get a little frustrated with them, but I, they know that I care about them, but I'm really going to push people because I just don't simply understand why people wouldn't want the best for themselves and their family. Um, and that's just basically how I was raised. I was just raised, if you're going to do anything, do it to the best of your ability and your name's on it. So if you say, hey, I'm going to go and wash this car, dig this ditch, paint this, whatever it is, I'm going to go accomplish this goal. I'm going to go run this car dealership. Then, you know, if that's what you say you're going to do, then 
you, 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 you've agreed you're going to do it. You should do yeah. it to the best of your ability. And if, you know, like try, one of my dad's rules was if you try for sports, you can't, you can't quit. Like if you don't want to go out next year, that's fine. But once the season starts, you don't quit. You don't start something, you quit. Now, if you don't want to go out next year, it's fine. And, uh, you know, so just things like that, you know, showing up early, Lombardi time. He didn't call it Lombardi time, but you should always be early for an appointment. Um, make good eye contact, handshake, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. You know, I mean, if you didn't say yes, sir, yes, ma'am to somebody, you there's going to be a problem. Right. Um, respect you your military. Belt. Yeah, respect your military. Well, Grandma Mary would make us get a green switch. You didn't get brown because you'd break on your ear and you had to get a green. You broke the brown when you were going to go get a green. And she would she would just wear us out. And, you know, and I, so I think some of that, you know, played a, you know, obviously played a role in it. But, um, you know, I, I, I like people. I like cars. I like challenges. You know, um, I had a goal of, of, you know, being a dealer, car dealer. And, you know, so I now part in six car dealerships, you know, and I didn't have any. And so I'm, I'm obviously fortunate. You know, so even going through these tough times we're going through right now, I have a lot to be thankful for. And so do a lot of people. Um, has it been difficult? Yeah, it's been the most difficult thing I've ever had to deal with by far. Um, but, you know, what, what do you do? You, you show up every single day, you leave from the front, you tell people it's going to be okay, and you go on. And, you know, we, like we were talking about, you know, how we had to have that plan maybe to furlough people, right? And then we found out we qualified for the PPP. So imagine the ups and downs. So I'm sitting there, you know, talking to my wife, staring straight ahead, saying, you don't know what I've got to do. And I, I, you know what? And as a leader, you don't want to do it. You don't want to go furlough people. Like I honestly was sick to my stomach. I didn't yeah. want to do it, but I had to, you know, I, I, I had to. It's well, my it's job. that debate. It's like, I, if I don't do this, then they might not have a place to come back to, to begin to like, you know, you sacrifice a little to save everybody. You know, yeah. and and that was extremely difficult. Then all of a sudden, guess what? Mike, I find out, hey, we qualify for this. Not only do I have to not let anybody go, but we get to guarantee their pay. Now, tell, I'll tell you that the, the dichotomy there is we're guaranteeing people pay to commission-based people. And I'm a person that's going to push you to be the best that's now saying, hey, not only am I not going to let you go, but I'm going to guarantee your pay. And I know for a fact that sales are going to go down because uh, although we've had, I think, to the date, 600 cases in the whole state of Virginia, 8.5 million people. Um, we're still, I mean, we, we have 14 cases in Augusta County and the whole county I'm in. But, you know, we have been shut down from a don't go outside your house standpoint. So now I've got to sit here and watch these people, you know, that I'm used to push, push, push. And I'm still pushing. But I mean, there's people simply, we're delivering cars from home double the amount we used to, uh, quadruple the amount. But for people just to casually come on a car lot or casually come in your service department, they're not coming. Yeah. You know, like I, uh, you go to get on your Waze app and it says, if it's not emergency, stay home. Well, those people aren't going to casually come out and browse for cars at this time. Right. Uh, you so know, what do you, what's your, what's your, where's your mindset at? Like, what's your, maybe your plan as of today? Of like, how do we move forward from all of this? Yeah, we need to move forward like now. Like uh, our governor is going to allow um, restaurants to be open. Uh, they're going. To, he's going to allow uh, uh, hair. Uh, you can go get your hair salons open. Uh, gyms get to open on May 14th. So literally, we went dark in advertising. 
So we literally have not advertised at all because we were conserving cash. So now it's okay. He gave the press conference yesterday. We were, we heard maybe June, you know, cause right. there's no use spending a bunch of money on advertising if people won't come in and you've got to make sure you put out the proper message, right? We can't people one, when we contact them, we need to ask, how are you? Are you okay? Is there anything we could do for you? How, how can we serve you? We're here for you. How can we serve you? Are you okay? Well, Obviously, if someone sits and says, you know, I'm struggling to pay my bills, I've lost my job, that's not the consumer you're going to sit and say, hey, well, you know, why don't we sell you a car? Guess what? We got 0% for... Yeah. Yeah. So how can we serve you? And our company has has a number that consumers can call and say, hey, I need, you know, I need drugs from a drugstore picked up, or I need this picked up or that picked up. So, you know, we will come to people's houses and pick up their cars and bring it in to get it serviced and deliver it back. We will take cars to people's houses. Now, there are some programs out there that are really good programs. Like I'll give you an example. A lot of our manufacturers have at least three months to no payments, six months to no payments. A lot of them have seven years, 0% finance. So if somebody was in a position to purchase a car at this time, it's a fantastic time to purchase the car. But to some people, that's not, you know, that that's not anything that they're concerned about. And what we say is simply that's fine. But if you call consumers or contact consumers and say, hey, now's a great time to buy, you're actually going to do more damage than you are good. Right? So we, our message is simple. We're here for you in whatever you need. And uh, and our team, is, as we've trained and drilled and drilled and drilled that message, because we need to be a good neighbor. Right?